We are facing unprecedented challenges today. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Transitions, a podcast by Bustique. Sustainability, carbon, ecological footprint and environmental awareness. So many terms entered in the corporate vocabulary, but all grouped under one acronym, CSR. While we are sort of getting used to hearing it, you may sometimes wonder, what does it consist of concretely? That's what this podcast aims to explain. What does a multinational company's CSR strategy look like in the making? In each episode, CSR directors and heads of sustainability will explain to us how their company's CSR strategy looks like from within. This time, I have the pleasure to welcome Nina Combadelis, Veolia's Asia Head of Sustainability. Hi, Nina. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Could you start by introducing yourself, your function and the group you work for? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I'm Nina. I'm French, as you can hear. And I've been working for Veolia, that is a leader in environmental services, developing water, waste and energy solutions to uh, contribute to the circular economy and inclusiveness of the economy. Uh, I've been in charge in Asia over the past 10 years of mission around sustainability, purpose, change management, organizational culture, trying to act as a catalyst for change. So Veolia is one of the world's key players in water services and waste management. It does make me wonder, what is the position of the company towards CSR? Thanks for this question. Actually, the sustainability, I would say, is really at the core of the business for Veolia. And just to illustrate this, let's come back to the origin, if you, if you don't mind. We were created in 1853 in France, in Lyon, at a moment where uh, Pasteur was saying that we were drinking 90% of our diseases. And uh, basically, we created water treatment solution in order to foster health and local development. First with water. Yes, first with water. And then we developed ourselves with waste and energy services. And you say that CSR today is at the core of the company strategy. Could you elaborate? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, we have what we call our purpose that has been defined in 2019. And uh, or formalized, I would say, we really believe that we are prosperous because we are useful and not the other way around. Basically, our purpose is saying that we want to contribute to the United Nations SDG goals. And in doing so, through our core business, that is developing uh, water, waste and energy solutions and services to make sure that we can uh, bring uh, human and technological progress. Hmm. So this is a very ambitious program. Having said that, what would be the biggest challenge Veolia has to face from a CSR standpoint, of course? We are facing unprecedented challenges today. Very complex, very interconnected and very urgent issues. And today, uh, I hope we all realize that we don't have the luxury of time anymore and we cannot only rely on one solution provider to save us all. So basically, the challenge today is that we need to accelerate the change uh, in order to achieve what we call in Veolia ecological transformation. And in doing so, we need to co-create uh, internally and externally. And on this quest towards ecological transformation, we need to be careful 
to embark everybody, embark all uh, employees, all uh, suppliers, uh, clients, partners, shareholders. And this is one of the risks, right? Because we need to challenge ourselves to innovate, always think outside the box, develop new solutions, and at the same time, take our time to make sure that we integrate our principle into uh, concrete actions. Is there a specific date or event that has impacted Veolia's CSR strategy that you would like to share? Yeah, um, so one of the dates, if I go backwards in a way, is indeed 2019, where we were actually taking, leveraging the opportunity of the new pact law uh, preparation to release our purpose and formalize our purpose. The new pact law is a French uh, law that have been uh, creating a lot of debate actually in France about the role of the company in the society. Because as you know, up to now, we were thinking with uh, Smith that we were here to uh, deliver profit and only answer to shareholders. But nowadays in France, we consider that the companies have a responsibility towards the society and the environment and different stakeholders outside the, the financial sector. So this is about the new PAC law. But if we go backwards again, I would say that one of the key dates was 2015, where we had the COP21, when the companies were put at the front stage in the fight against climate change. And for us as Veolia, it was a perfect opportunity to really uh, demonstrate we could be a, a wonderful partner to develop solutions for the climate. Sustainability is clearly stated as a compass for the company's growth and for the company's impact. So it really simplifies the decision making and it uh, increases the sense of pride of employees because they really realize what they do as a strong impact on the society. And from a systemic point of view, I would say in terms of process, the other things that change was the, the fact we monitor how we walk the talk because it's great to have ambition but how you uh, actually deliver them and how you demonstrate you deliver them. And uh, what we have been doing uh, at the group was to identify through this purpose five key stakeholders. So you have, uh, without order of importance, environment, nature, you have society, employees, clients and shareholders. And for all these stakeholders, we try to identify through our activities and reportings what were the key indicators, the key objectives and indicators that would the most demonstrate the value and the, the way we walk the talk of our purpose. And therefore, we identified 19 indicators with very strict and clear targets. So between 2020 to 2023. And all these KPIs really show that sustainability is really uh, a question of how you bring positive impact in a balanced, fair manner to all stakeholders on the long term. And therefore, for once, the financial indicators are not disconnected from the non-financial indicator, which is, for me, very key. And if you see on our website, you will see that the way we present this is called multifaceted performance. It's a wheel. And it's very strong signal to show that everything is interconnected. So if you have a lack of performance on one item, it will actually impact the, the rest of our global performance. I understand. By any chance, could you share some of these KPIs? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give you some examples, for the environmental performance, you have some tons of emission reduced or avoided. You also have uh, a number of sites, priority sites, where we develop a biodiversity footprint diagnosis. And what is even stronger is that we state that by 2023, 
we need to achieve 75% of our action plans. And these action plans are actually recommended by external parties. So it's not nothing. Here's a more difficult question, but I'm really interested in your answer. And so are our listeners. At least I hope they are. How do you manage to transform CSR into an argument for business, especially when you share the same core business with your competitors? My answer is, first of all, this is a collective effort. Okay, Our objective through sustainability, through the sustainability team, is to demonstrate that sustainability is not disconnected from the core business. And it's not a cherry on the cake, but rather, if you imagine a melting chocolate cake, it's a melting part. <laughs> this is our objective. And how do we do that? Um, well, we do that in many different ways, but I will maybe uh, find two activation levers. The first one is we work with business developers and we try to support them in understanding better the agenda of our clients, sustainability drivers, target challenges, uh, needs, to help them to analyze that and then to do ideations uh, workshops uh, where we can actually think about what kind of booster or what kind of a business solution we could position to meet their need, but even go beyond that. Uh, so this is one thing. But what we, we do also, and I think it's even more powerful uh, from my point of view, is that we work with operation on sites to really help them go beyond words and lead by example. So make the mark by themselves, because at the end of the day, they are the showcases of our capacity to bring su sustainable business, right? So just to give you an example as an illustration, basically from a small point of view to link with the indicators, you know, when we were speaking about diversity, some of the operators were a bit uh, lost in translation because this is not our core business, right? But at the end of the day, when we realize that when we, we have today a thousand sites across the world that are not using phytosanitary products. And when you take this site into account and the sites that reduce their green management, cutting intensity and so on, we realize that we generate millions of euros of savings. And then it becomes much more attractive to do sustainability, to support the environment and the business at the same time. But I, I have another business case. This site, I really like it because I find that the team uh, was in a very challenging situation and is super, super committed toward bringing sustainability inputs from an operational and business point of view. It's a story of a, of a site that is uh, near Beijing in China. And this site, this company, because it was near, near Beijing, was facing in 2011 very strong, stringent pressure to reduce the environmental emissions or impacts. Because as you know, there were a lot of pollution in, in China and uh, actually the laws in China are one of the most stringent in the world nowadays. So the company was really committed to demonstrate their environmental performance because not only they want to demonstrate that they can bring value, but also it's because the, the site where it is, um, how to picture it, it, it's kind of a plant city. So it was very important in terms of local development also uh, to make sure that they would stay. Okay. And so in this, uh, uh, this uh, plant, there is a huge wetland of eight hectares. And this wetland is actually uh, nourished by water that is not coming from natural sources, but actually from the industrial wastewater we treat. So to meet the very, very stringent uh, regulation uh, linked to the water, uh, Veolia was able to develop solid technical solution with multiple purification stage and mixed with natural based treatment 
to make sure that we were able to meet these standards. Doing so, we were able to rehabilitate the wetland and reattract more than 140 species of birds. This wetland rehabilitated was not only positive for the environment, but also for the local community because they go there during the weekend to enjoy with their children and so on and so forth. So with this site, the company and Veolia was able to show that we can co-create with a partner. We can go outside the box because basically we enrich our core business model. We can uh, be benefit, uh, beneficial for the environment, but actually we help our clients social license to operate. So I, I find this is a nice story. Indeed it is. I can feel that you are really proud of this achievement. Having shared such an example, I want to ask you, what does it take to get everyone on board? Yes, and this is a $1 million question. Okay, many different factors uh, plays along to get everyone on board. The first that comes to my mind is to uh, have really uh, an executive leader that uh, holds a genuine genuine commitment and vision for uh, the purpose and the sustainability. Because if your top management doesn't believe in it, I think you can forget it. This was one of the key uh, arguments or key success factors that was identified by uh, Frédéric Laloux in uh, reinventing organizations. Uh, the second thing that you need is to make sure that uh, you have specific action that's in place. Because if it's only uh, talking or only KPIs, but without concrete projects, nothing moves. And uh, in the between, I would say, is how you can interact with your employees, especially in huge companies, how you can interact with your employees to make sure that they go from an observer mode to a change maker mode, I would say. And this is one of the potential pay points or challenge or risks that we identified was to uh, have uh, some people that are very convinced uh, on one side of the company and the rest of the company uh, disconnected. So we wanted to make sure that we would avoid this, uh, this risk. One activity is what we call Purpose in Motion Workshop. So we organize two to three hours uh, workshops where anyone from the company could actually identify a project they know very well or they are working on and identify based on, you know, on the a multifaceted performance and the different indicators and KPIs, what does the site do concretely in favor of the purpose, what they could do better how they could do so and what kind of challenge they could face in this change and what kind of solutions they could uh, commit to implement. So this was very important because it's, it's generated a feeling of pride, uh, awareness about the different workflows and really give responsibility uh, to the people. The other thing to anticipate is to make sure that you adapt the way you interact and communicate based on your audience. So uh, this three-hour workshop it was wonderful for all the office workers when you need to do that with an operator that works in shift mode, a bit more complex. So what we have been trying to do was to actually adapt the length and also the amount of information we were giving at the beginning of the workshop in order to really focus first on the snapshot of the operations and also creating some toolkits to kind of desacralize, I would say, simplify a bit all this concept of diversity, circular economy, change, uh, climate change and so on and to concretely say what does it mean for them and let them speak. And so they have a kind of a leaflet they can use where they can exchange on what does it mean for them and they can have session of 10 minutes or so every week uh, as they want. And this toolkit, we created it with the operators to make sure that it was adapted. 
What I want to say is that we launched this purpose in motion in September 2020, and in less than 10 months in Asia, we succeeded in uh, concerning 5,000 employees. So this can definitely be considered as a success. We still have a long way to go because we have uh, 18,000 employees in Asia, but still, uh, majority of the people on, uh, like in regions or you know offices have done it. All the managers have done it, uh, but now we, we need to go deeper with the operation. Thank you, Nina. For the following question, which requires a bit of anticipation, I ask you to take a forward-looking perspective. So here it is. How do you see Veolia evolve in the mid or long term? Something like 10 or 15 years, for example. Okay, my hope personally uh, is to see Veolia really recognized as a leader and the benchmark in what we call ecological transformation. I just want to say what it means. Ecological transformation doesn't mean environment only. It means really finding a fair balance between environment, social, economical issues. And transformation means really the way to disrupt our solution and to better adapt to the challenges ahead. My objective, I hope that we will find that Veolia can, you know what, can give hope, can give hope that we are able to uh, have big companies that, yes, are profitable and at the same time really bring a positive impact on the society. And that is their drivers. This is my hope. My hope to demonstrate that we can have a fair balance uh, between our, in our contribution to the different stakeholders we work with and co-create with them solutions. So this is the big picture. You were talking about hope. So let's keep talking about it. On a personal level, is there a project you hope to have achieved by then or you'd be proud to have achieved? My objective is very high level. I would be satisfied when the purpose will be considered as business as usual when I will no longer be needed because everyone, either in purchase, HR, a supplier, a client, a shareholder, will consider this is their job to contribute in their own way to the uh, society and the future of the society. Speaking of purpose, Bustique is at an earlier stage of its transformation in comparison to Veolia, so I'm sure your answer to this question will get some attention from the people in charge of conducting and achieving Bustique's transformation. What would you consider to be the biggest challenge a company has to face at such an early stage? I believe that the worst thing you can do is feeling lost and yet trying to fake clarity or perfection. Okay, so what I would personally uh, recommend uh, is to make sure that you have clarity on your vision. So asking your why, why, why 10,000 times until you're sure that you do this job because of this reason. Having this clarity on the mission would help you to actually understand where you stand today in terms of performance, where do you want to go, what is the gap, what are the priorities and specific actions you want to deliver. And based on this, I think you, you can easily, more easily, I would say, identify how to engage the different layers of your companies in, in developing uh, specific actions. Another advice I would have is when we think about change management, we often think about the hard side of change management, thinking about uh, urgency and KPIs and process and action plan, you know, all of that. But sometimes we lose uh, the human side of the change. And I do tend to believe that in these cases, the problem is not really technical. The problem is really human. Our brain are not fitted to be calmly agile. 
Okay, so we need to really work on the mindset, and we need to not only have leaders that demonstrate this change and are bold enough to walk the talk of this change, but we need to really work individual by individual on their mindset, on what is their source of resistance, what is the need behind. Need to be reassured, need to have clarity, need to have explanation, need to have trainings. What is the need behind? So we we really need to partner with people and and struggling together toward our goal because nobody knows what we can really do at the end of the day, right? But how does a company like Bustique do that? How do you work on your employees' mindset? You need to listen to your employees to understand uh, why they are here. Why did they stay along these years? What is their culture? What is their motivation? What do they value in their day-to-day work? And then uh, making sure you understand your client's expectation, your stakeholder's expectation, and build ambitious and empowering and inspiring vision toward your goal. And then step-by-step work with them to deploy this action. Don't decide for yourself. Work with them to co-create this action. This is what we have been doing uh, with uh, uh, what we call our purpose officers and change makers. We have really co-created actions with the BUs, with the operation, to make sure that it was relevant. Well, we are already at the end of this episode of Transitions. Nina, thank you so much for your wonderful explanation. Yeah, it's an honor. Thanks for inviting me. And it was very interesting to discuss with you. To our listeners, just keep in mind that a transformation requires constant challenges at every step of the process, but especially at the beginning. You know the drill now. In the next episode, another special guest will give us the honor of stopping by to explain what the transition of their group looks like behind the scenes. But transformation is also an issue on Bostique's side. That's why you're invited to discover or rediscover Bostique Talks, another series where Bostique CSR reference talk about themselves, their BU and their CSR issues, of course. See you soon in the next episode of Transitions.